Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Witter podcast is Mark Sperling. Mark is the CEO of Group Y. Group Y is the original and leading collective of professionals focused on youth marketing, lifestyle, and other progressive and expressive cultures. Group Y has organized hundreds of events, including Coachella, Agenda, and more. Mark, thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so really excited to talk to you today. You have such a rich background working for companies like Red Bull and Live Nation and so forth. But how did you get into the event marketing space? Um, It actually started when I was very young. Both of my parents kind of are like active in their communities and they were always kind of planning events and such. And so from there, I kind of took on that trait. And back in high school, I was planning events for my student body and then kind of led into college producing parties and concerts and events. And then it just kind of rolled into becoming this career for me. Yeah. So what excites you about events? Like what, what drove you to get into events and to stay into events, frankly? I love the live experience of it all. For me, it's seeing people's reactions when they're there. I like creating that aha moment, something that they're going to remember for their entire life and something that they're going to come and take away from it. So whether it's something that somebody said on the stage that resonates with them personally, or maybe it's a a concert, the music experience, the shared experience they had with others, there's just so much of it that kind of enriches people's lives. Yeah, I I see you've been a bunch of events, whether it was at Red Bull or companies like Tony Hawk and Live Nation. So what do you learn for some of those early experiences in your career? You know, I think the best thing I always did is I always wanted to work or create events where I would enjoy it. So one of the things that I do on almost every event that I work on or produce is I kind of sit in the back row and I look at people and see how they're reacting and how they're kind of taking it all in. And then from there, I kind of create a more immersive experience in the future for them to enjoy. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, if I'm not having a good time, I know they're not having a good time. So I want to make sure it's the best experience ever. Yeah, I love that in terms of just putting yourself in the audience's shoes. I think that's so important, whether you're an executive for a consumer products company, thinking about the experience of your customers, how they use the product, how they experience the product. I think it's such a great example of just using empathy as they use from a design thinking perspective. Exactly, exactly. And that's I try to apply that to everything that I do in my life. Yeah, tell me more, actually. I'd be curious to know how you use that in terms of how you built out your, your company, Group Y. Yeah. So, you know, throughout my career, I've kind of been in a number of different industries and I've worked for so many different companies. I've been very fortunate to have that experience. And each one has kind of allowed me to learn from each other or learn new skills. So, you know, for one example, with partnerships, I've done that for a number of people, like you said, Live Nation and Red Bull. I always try to create a partnership between two brands that are probably unique, but have similar needs. 
So whether it's one that's a consumer products, goods company, maybe wanting to connect with a ski resort and how those two can work together. And then from that, you look at how that relationship will affect the end consumer. And so from that, I'll look at what is the experience component of it? What is the end goal of it? How can we have this be so there's longevity with this relationship? And so we build that out and work on it. And it's something, a lot of these things that I've done in the past are not like a one and, one and done deal. They're kind of a long-term deal that will last for years and years to come. How do you go about doing that? Obviously, I think about what are the values of those brands? What's some of the messaging? Trying to look for areas of congruence. But can you get into some of the practical details about how you go about establishing partnerships between two unique brands, as you called it? Yeah. So it's really interesting because I get approached all the time by different companies. And they're always saying, hey, I would like to reach this certain age group or the certain market, but we don't know how to go about doing it. We don't know like how to be authentic about it, which we can talk further about later on. But it's one of those things where I'll sit there and kind of analyze it and go, okay, well, here's some of the good parts of what you're trying to accomplish. And here are some of the things that I feel like it doesn't resonate with your audience. And then from there, looking at others that may have approached me and said, hey, we would love to have this kind of brand work with us. And it's kind of more like a matchmaking type scenario where you're trying to find like who are those two compatible to work together or maybe two that are opposing in a lot of ways. But can you feel like there is something there to accomplish or something that could be very unique with it? And then from that, you kind of bring the two parties together, talk it out, work with them, brainstorm, figure out different ideas that would fit. And it goes from there. I mean, I've done this hundreds and hundreds of times. And again, it's, you know, I've done it with automobile companies working with an action sports brand. I'll do that with a consumer products, good company with, like I mentioned, like a ski resort or maybe a music festival. And it's really interesting to kind of just really think outside the box, you know, try to do stuff that's not already out there in the marketplace. Really try to figure out something that's going to stand out among their consumers. Yeah, it makes me think about a word you mentioned before is authenticity and how that could actually create a new experience for companies and how they connect with people. Can you talk to me about authenticity, how you think about that and what that really means? Yeah, so it's been something that I've been really kind of passionate about understanding that meeting for a number of years now. It kind of came about when being involved in the action sports world for so many years, I mean, you have to be authentic in that space. You have to be your true self. And then eventually later on, when I was at Red Bull, my role was to oversee national partnerships for the brand. And so in that role, I would meet with top CEOs and CMOs of every Fortune 500 company out there. And almost immediately in those meetings, I would talk with them. And the first thing they would say is, hey, our company spends millions and millions of dollars trying to connect with our consumer and audience. We look at you at Red Bull, you understand them. You understand your audience better than anybody. You know, you're part of all the different subcultures. You're immersed yourself. As I said, they spend millions of dollars and they get zero results from it. And so hearing that was it kind of really baffled me, going, my gosh, I'm like, they don't get it. You know, they don't really understand that connection. So the past eight years I really kind of been focusing on what that word means. It gets thrown around a lot. I mean, it's kind of like a buzzword. It's, you know, any conference I go to, the speaker gets up there and we kind of joke around it. We turn it into a drinking game where if they say the word authentic or authenticity, we all kind of do our imaginary drink to our mouths, 
you know, in some cases it ends up being like we would be completely drunk because the speaker has thrown it out there about 30 or 40 times. It's now part of our daily dialogue. You hear it on TV all the time. Celebrities are throwing out that word. Once I started kind of diving into it and really understanding what this is about and asking people what their thoughts of it were, it really brought on a whole new sense. I have a website called authenticity.co, which people can go on there. And I ask them three basic questions. What does authenticity mean to you? What makes you authentic? And what brands do you feel are authentic? And the answers that come from it are very diverse. And there's similar themes in there. But it's great to see people, how they kind of have different perspectives on what that word means to them. I'd probably actually not be a good person for your panel because it's one of my favorite words (laughs) in terms of (laughs) authentic leadership and authentic style because I think it's so important. And a word that I've been grappling with is either confidently authentic or authentically confident because I think so much of our confidence and could be even a brand's confidence comes from the idea and ability to exhibit that authenticity. True. Very true. It's been interesting to see people's answers, especially when it comes around what brands they feel are authentic. And the, you know, the ones that kind of resonate to the top are the ones you kind of would think about are the Patagonias of the world. Vans, Adidas, and a number of other brands like that are kind of at the top of the list. And the reasons why is you know, they're very transparent. They're very open with what they are as a brand. They've kind of stuck to their original core and their DNA. You know, it kind of goes back to who their founder was and how their founder kind of structured the company with their messaging, the marketing, the way they handle their products, the way that the sourcing of it all. And again, going back to that transparency aspect of it. And so in seeing people's reviews of each of those companies, that's where we're starting to see that there is this kind of commonality between those ones that kind of are the top five on that list. Yeah, and definitely Apple's right in there and a lot of the other ones that I saw on the the, the uh, authenticity.co website. Yeah, definitely. You know, Apple's been up there. You know, that for me they would probably be one of my top 3 for sure along that lines for those same reasons. So more from a practical perspective, so how can companies go about creating greater authenticity? Like where does that start from? It starts from inside. I mean, it definitely starts from the top down. You know, a number of different corporations that I've worked for it was really interesting to see this. You know, they would try to exude that they were authentic in a way, but yet they weren't thinking that. It was always about dollars. You know, it's always about hitting the certain margins and such. But yet they would never take on other ideals and concepts to help that kind of more connect them to their consumer or their their customer. So I think the ones that do listen to their customer, what their beliefs are, what their ideals are, what are the reasons why they would pick a particular product over another, you know, brands need to do that more. And I think, you know, again, those kind of top five brands, that's what they do very well. They kind of listen to their audience that's out there. And then they kind of take that feedback and bring it in house and figure out ways how to change their business model to fit that. So do you mind just double clicking a little bit? Can you give me an example of a really authentic brand? I know you provided a few examples earlier, but I love just thinking about the inner workings of a brand and what happens internally within a company based on your experiences working with these large organizations. Yeah. So again, it's one of those ones where I have been very fortunate to work with so many different brands that are out there. You know, one of the ones I would say that I feel exude this to all levels is Vance Shoes. 
They're a brand I've worked with closely over 30 plus years. There's actually a great book that just came out yesterday from the original founder, Paul uh, Van Doren, called Authentic. And he talks about the story of why he created this shoe, how it's kind of been a family business for a number of years, how they kind of started off small. And now it's, you know, you go anywhere, you'll find a pair of Vans on somebody, regardless of what age they are. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny to see now this younger generation wearing bands, whereas myself, that was one of the very first pairs of shoes that I wore, you know, some 40 plus years ago. And it's still the exact same style, the same look. What's been interesting with them is from a company culture wise, it's always been about those that work internally. It's always been that family kind of close together. Steve Van Dorn, which is Paul's son is still kind of the figurehead of the company. He's still out there. He's flipping pancakes, uh, making waffles for all the employees. He's out at every event, just exuding what that kind of brand is all about. They're still kind of actively involved in all the different subcultures that they were originally started at. So whether it was kind of like the action sports with skateboarding and surfing, with music, with art, self-expression, They've all kind of figured out ways how to kind of dive into each of those different subcultures and help support them. So whether it's through events, competitions, working with high schools to do art projects, they've done it in such an incredible way. And then it kind of goes outward where now the their customer is kind of their ambassadors. They're the ones that are going out there and showcasing the brand in a lot of different ways. They're customizing the shoes in their own way. They're kind of posting up photos of where they are wearing their shoes. So it's really interesting to see how that brand from like almost a 360 perspective has kind of just taken what their original, as I say, their original DNA and just kind of grown upon it. And it's still resonating 40 plus years later. Van shoes, it's such a fantastic example because that's something that definitely a brand that that I grew up with, Van shoes and my friends and so forth. But how have they stayed authentic over time? I know you gave some great examples of the family staying heavily involved, but what are some tips in terms of how a brand can stay authentic and they can stay relevant to their audience over time? Yeah. So, I mean, Vans, they're the first to admit they made a number of mistakes throughout the years. There were a couple of periods where they, they decided to jump into maybe some sports or different activity based upon what was popular at the time. They looked at some of their other competitors, whether it was like a Nike or Adidas or others, and seeing what they were involved in. And they try to replicate or kind of copy some of their businesses or their marketing. And it didn't work. It failed. I mean, Vans's audience is a particular mindset. They're very kind of true to what that brand is about. And once you start deviating from it, they will turn on you instantly. And they'll let you know. And so they saw that happen. And so there's periods during the 80s and 90s, which they they don't like to talk about, but they still kind of showcase that. And they'll talk about it in some of the, they like, look, we did this. We were involved in breakdancing. We were involved in aerobics or something along those lines. And it just flopped. It was not who we were. So I think what they've done is they realized, you know, let's just stick to those kind of three or four core lanes that we're great at. They're kind of like their bit of their silos of it. And let's just be the best we can be at that. And again, it's one of those things where the audience, you know, it's multi-generational now for them. So you have people like myself, where it was our very first pair of shoes. Now the next generation is born. You know, they're giving it to their kids to wear it. And the kids are loving it and enjoying it. You know, 
there's not many brands that are like that. Footwear space definitely is one of them. But if you look at some of the other kind of categories, there's not many brands where it becomes a very multi-generational, that they're as supportive of it from day one. And then the next generation is supporting it just as much or have love as like the previous generation. Yeah, I can just picture a, a dad maybe in their 40s or 50s wearing their vans with some reasonably fitted jeans and a, a sports coat. And then you have the, the skaters and the surfers out there rocking the vans as well. Exactly. I mean, who would have thought a pair of vans is good to be in a boardroom? You know, it, it's now part of daily attire at any company. It, it's amazing that somebody that grew up in skateboarding and wearing a pair of vans and, you know, with holes on them and, and dirty and writing band names on the side of the shoes, you know, it, you could wear it to any occasion now. It's incredible. Yeah, it's definitely a remarkable brand story. And just obviously, we all make our mistakes over time and getting into yoga, or I think you said, uh, I don't know, jazzercise or something that is, is definitely probably not authentic from a van's perspective. True. Very true. The other thing I remember is working with some of the people internally at Vans. I know a lot of their marketing managers were actually either ex-pro surfers, ex-pro skateboarders, snowboarders, et cetera. And so that seemed to help from an authenticity perspective because they know what they demand of the products and what they demand of the brand as well. Exactly. You kind of touched on it right there. You know, they do a lot to bring in those people that kind of live and breathe that lifestyle. So whether they are musicians or former action sports athletes, they bring them into positions of the marketing and they help dictate the direction of the company, whether it is the events, you know, one of the best things I thought Vans had done, they created a thing called the triple crown series. So back in the day we had created the world championships of skateboarding with the hard rock cafe when I was working at Transworld media and we brought Vans on board to kind of give it that authentic feel. You know, we wanted to make sure that there was kind of a, a like-minded brand involved. And then from there, Van said, hey, let's create the Triple Crown series. And so in surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, freestyle motocross, BMX, so they kind of went down the list of all the different sports. And it helped grow not only the sports themselves, but it allowed it to kind of be showcased to a whole different audience. So they got it on NBC and it, you know, the TV viewership definitely helped it. Another thing they did great was a thing called House of Vans where they created kind of like their own music venue in a number of different cities and it allowed them to kind of showcase art, do these great exhibits there and, and showcase other bands that you probably would normally not get to see. And it was just, you know, it was the perfect world of bands. It just showcased the brand in all different aspects of it. And they're the best at what they do when it comes to that, especially on the experiential side, for sure. So we're talking a lot about business to consumer brands with vans and and the like, but can you talk a little bit about perhaps business to business companies? I know Adobe ranked really high on that uh, authenticity scale for you. Can you talk a little bit about how those kinds of companies can think about authenticity and staying relevant over time? Yeah, so that's something I've been definitely working a lot on is companies that are kind of more on that B2B side of things. And Adobe is definitely one of the best out there. Um, just the past couple of days, they had the Adobe Summit which I was kind of tuning in. And it was really interesting to see how they kind of mix culture with technology. So they would have these kind of big name celebrities speaking about how their lives have kind of transformed during these times, whether it was due to the pandemic or how technology has kind of evolved and, and is in constant change throughout the day. I mean, it seems like every day now there's a whole new platform that's out there, whether it's on the social media side of things or some kind of new software or automation. 
Adobe, you know, for a lot of us, that's part of our daily lives. I mean, we use their products. I mean, I'm constantly using Photoshop and Illustrator every single day. And, you know, a lot of other people are using it for video editing and such. And so I think we, as this society, we use technology to help enrich our lives, to help enrich our jobs, or our careers and things like that. From a B2B perspective, you know, brands like them are incredible. I look at Shopify is probably another terrific company. You know, who would think a company like Shopify, who is basically an e-commerce platform, they don't even look at themselves as a technology company anymore. They look at themselves as a tool to help entrepreneurs come up with an idea and allow it to grow. And so it's been great to see how a company like that has really kind of entrenched themselves, become part of like almost our daily vocabulary, and how they kind of say like, look, with us, we will take that idea. We will help nurture it for you. We will help give you all the different tools for you to grow that idea, and we will make it flourish. And you will be successful from that. I think a lot of companies that are in that B2B space, they need to look at those kind of companies, that how they take on their messaging, how they kind of really work directly with their specific customer, how they can talk to them, kind of have this almost like two-way conversation to make that happen. What are some practical tips of what those B2B companies can do to, to engage more directly with their consumers so they can understand them and create products and services that really will resonate with them? Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy to see a lot of companies that are on the B2B side of things, they take on the traditional sales model. You know, they have kind of like their sales reps that are going out there and they're kind of doing this almost shotgun approach where, uh, you know, a lot of us that are on LinkedIn, we get bombarded with messages that look like they're almost automated saying, hey, you need to try our product. You need to try our software. You need to try our services. Without them really understanding that, I don't need their service. You know, there's nothing in my life or in my company that I would need to use their services. So I think there's, you need to have as a company, you need to kind of figure out exactly who your end customer is going to be or who's that other business is going to be and why they need to use it. And there needs to be that connection and that bond between that two. With Adobe, you know, there is other alternatives to their products. I mean, there's a lot of free alternatives to their products. But for myself, the reason why I do use it is because I truly believe in who they are as a company. I truly believe that they are creating things that help enrich what I am doing every day. You know, I look at other companies like uh, Canva is a great one. Even though that kind of is almost like a bit of a consumer aspect of it, it can be kind of more of a general public thing. It's helping businesses simplify the design process. And there's that connection now that you see people are gravitating to that brand. We had Guy Kawasaki speaking on one of our talks just recently, and he's kind of like their evangelist of that brand. And he was really kind of talking a little bit about how companies that are on that B2B side of things, you need to have a different perspective. You need to be nimble. You need to kind of move with the times and really embrace what is out there and embrace what a company needs. And that, again, it goes back to that kind of one-on-one connection having that conversation, listening, what you can do, changes that are needed, as opposed to just kind of going out there and just doing it on your own. You've talked about, you probably haven't said the word purpose, but you talk about purpose, you talk about authenticity, you talk about you like what the company and the brand stands for. I'd love to switch gears a little bit on that note in terms of talking about youth marketing and millennials and Gen Z in particular. So 
what's unique about those generations? What should companies be thinking about if they're looking to engage with them, both as consumers, but also as potential employees? I just spoke with somebody about this the other day. It's, you know, we're one of the generations that when we grew up, there was no internet. There was no real technology for us. You know, our way of connecting with people was, hey, at six o'clock, we're going to meet at the local pizza place. Let's all get on our bicycles or in our cars and we'll go over there. And then that was our chat room, was us kind of being there in person. I think the only technology we had at that time was probably playing Pac-Man or something like that. But over time, we've kind of seen so many different variations of it, whether it was, you know, we, we would have beepers or we saw every different kind of cell phones. There's the internet kind of grew up among us. We saw a company like Apple basically start off with a little clunky laptop to kind of evolve itself. So we now are dealing with a generation that this is part of their life. Technology is immersed in every aspect of their lives. They're on their phones 24-7. They can't do anything without a phone or looking at a screen. They consume content completely different from any prior generation. So we are always learning and we're always adapting to that. The behaviors have completely changed from a generation before and even two generations back. This is a new generation where they can look at opportunities and they can make things happen at an instant. So whether it is like, hey, I want to start my own clothing company, boom, within two seconds, they can have a store up and running, they can have designs created on another software, and then they don't even need to have the tangible items because it's, everything is kind of printed on demand now. They're figuring out ways how to make revenue and money and make their own living off cryptocurrency and NFTs. And I mean, you name it. It's like every day there's a new kind of acronym that kind of pops up that people are involved in. So it's really fascinating to watch this kind of evolution over the past kind of maybe four or five decades with these different generations on how they've been adapting to the way they consume, the way they interact, and the way they kind of grow. Yeah, it's fascinating just in terms of how companies are even conducting interviews in some cases via text, right? So it's to really engage and meet them where they are. But what should companies be thinking about or, or what are companies doing wrong when they're trying to connect with and market to these new generations? <laughs> I mean, we can talk about hundreds and hundreds of different brands that have failed miserably. It's just funny on almost like a daily basis, whether you know, you're looking at your screen or you're watching TV or something, some of the ads that you see are just like, wow, that just fell flat. Like who created that? Who was the ad agency? I think it goes back again to transparency. The youth today, they resonate with a brand that is more open, showcases every aspect of what they're doing. The transparency I keep constantly talking about. You brought up purpose, which I, I really think that's something definitely need to kind of talk about. Purpose Driven has kind of grown more so, I would say, over the years. And you are starting to see a lot of brands kind of go back to that, especially now in this day and age where we're talking about a lot of social injustices that are happening, environmental issues. Every day we're kind of bombarded by something that's happening in this world. And so it's great to see brands connect and figure out solutions to help that. You know, I think some of these platforms have been really kind of talking about whether it's things that are happening on the racial injustice side, people raising money through different avenues, corporations coming on board and working together, regardless if they're competitors, on trying to figure out ways how to help 
resolve this solution. I mean, in most cases, they're actually doing a better job than some of the governments are doing because they have that kind of audience that kind of will lead if the company leads by example. I think it also gets back to authenticity, right? So it's like not just corporations just giving money, you know, X percent of profits or whatnot, but actually doing so and engaging in a truly authentic way. Exactly. I mean, you can tell who are the brands that are just kind of checking the boxes when it comes to that. Like, okay, we'll have our one day where our employees will go clean a beach. Or, you know, we are going to give our 0.0001% of profits to a charity. They need to do more. They need to go above and beyond that. Yeah, I think that's so important. Such a great example. I just was thinking about that, you know, X percent for this process or this nonprofit, et cetera. So versus actually doing so in a really authentic way. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of ways now where companies can do this. You know, the 1% for the planet is a great organization. There's B Corp, where corporations can kind of transform and kind of be their own certification when it comes to that. So there are ways that companies can go about doing this and lead by example. So take me a little bit more from a practical leadership perspective for, for companies that are trying to connect with, with Gen Z by having more purpose. Like, How can they go about doing that? How can they go about transforming their organization so they can have greater purpose and connect more with their consumers? It definitely is one of those things where I think they need to listen internally. You do have a lot of corporations that are very male-driven. They are not as diverse. And so I think they need to kind of listen internally to their employees. They need to listen to their customers. There's one group of people that I work with closely. Their names are Abdel and Bobby, and they have a book called Good is the New Cool. And they actually worked in corporate America, and they talk about how brands can use social purpose for good. And they kind of go through a step-by-step of how they go about doing it. They hold an incredible event called GoodCon where it brings together leaders from all different corporations from around the world. And they talk about this in a very open setting and showing examples of how a brand like an Adidas, a Gillette, MasterCard go about doing this with just simple examples. It's nothing that's major that would kind of almost upheaval an entire company structure. There's little examples of how they can go about doing it. And it creates such a dramatic change in what's going on in society. I love to switch gears a little bit and get back to something that's core of you and what you're doing at Group Y, but also your career experience and talk about events. And obviously the last year, year and a half, events have been decimated. They've really been transformed. My wife's in the wedding industry, so obviously there's been a lot of upheaval there. But talk about like just before, just regardless of whether we're in before or after the pandemic, like what do events provide from an opportunity perspective for companies, whether they're B2C or B2B in terms of how they can connect with their customers? So before COVID hit, we were doing anywhere up to about 35 to 40 events per year. And they would vary anywhere from a small kind of network gathering for a couple of hundred people to conferences and trade shows to all the way up to producing talks and panel discussions at major music festivals. So, you know, some of the most iconic names that you've heard of. And so we would get these kind of interesting audiences at each one of them. So whether it was more of a B2B perspective to more of a people that are attending a music festival, but they want to hear and they want to learn. So conversation was always a key component of this. People are constantly wanting to learn more to enrich their lives. And so that is something that we were really working upon, giving them the tools and the opportunities for them to enrich themselves, whether it was themselves personally, or maybe even their the brands or the companies that they work for. 
And so as we were kind of seeing this, there's also that connection. People love the networking aspect of it. They want to connect with others. They want to find those similarities that they can figure out ways how to either maybe become a new friend with them. Maybe there's a partnership that they can form. Maybe there's a new product that they can go on or some kind of new initiative that they can work together on. So we were trying to create those opportunities for them throughout this entire thing. And almost a year ago, around March of that time, we had a full roster of events. And when COVID hit, it really kind of created this massive, massive shift. You saw within an instant, first it was sports competitions, then it was music events. Festivals were canceling left and right, art performances, you name it. We saw it all happen. And it decimated an entire career that a lot of people didn't really realize that it's part of our everyday life. I mean, events is what we live for. And events, again, can vary in so many different fashions of it all. When everything kind of shifted more to that kind of virtual side of things, you know, first it was Zoom, everything was Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. We all had our fatigue. We all had our uh, getting nuts of it, of just how crazy it was to be on this camera all day long. But if anything, it allowed us to connect people. It allowed us to kind of see what our daily lives were about. For me, it was interesting because when I do events, I always try to create these pairings of people that you would never expect to see on stage together. So again, working with a lot of different kind of subcultures and genres, whether it's celebrities and fashion to politics, to something like cannabis, cryptocurrency, to the sports world, any types of business founders, influencers, we would try to get them all interconnected and have them speak on stage. When the pandemic happened, because of then people now shifting to Zoom, it allowed us to bring all these different voices together on there. Clubhouse was a great example. I mean, Clubhouse was either you love it or you hate it kind of a thing. But it would bring these people that you would never expect talking on there. I mean, who would think a Bill Gates and an Elon Musk would talk to the public and have open up and talk about topics and open up questions from an audience? That is kind of like almost unimaginable prior to COVID. Now you're starting to see this kind of hybrid events that are happening. People are using AR and VR to hold events. I think if anything, now that we're trying to go back to the live experience, we're going to start seeing audio only being part of it, or the virtual side will be still a part of a live event, where then it, it kind of opens up to not just the people that are there in person, but to the entire world can be a part of the experience. What else, though, in terms of moving towards this new or next normal, like what else do you think will impact events? What do you think they'll look like moving forward? I think everyone realizes that they don't need to travel to a trade show or a convention anymore. They can sit at home and be still a part of it. Technology still needs to evolve. It's still very clunky when it comes to this. There's a lot of different components of the live experience that need to be figured out in a way that can be inserted into these kind of virtual experiences. I've seen a lot happen. You know, people look at like Fortnite as an example. You know, your kids are using Fortnite, but they're immersed in this world of a lot of creativity. You can speak to anybody from anywhere around the world. You can interact. There's commerce part of it. So taking that kind of virtual world experience, this is something that Second Life had done years and years ago taking that kind of experience and bringing it into an event. So say, for example, you go to a major music festival 
you're there, you're enjoying it. You're running around to all the different stages. You're seeing the bands play. You can, you know, buy merch, you can eat food. If I was living in Belgium, I can't fly all the way over to the United States to come to the event. So creating this kind of virtual AR experience, wherever it may be, you can then feel like you're immersed in it. You can be a part of it. You can run around to the stages. You can be like, you can talk to somebody that's from UK or from China, and you can talk about those shared experiences. So it's just taking it to a whole nother level. I know it sounds a little scary. It sounds almost very like Black Mirror, if you follow that TV show of like where things could go, but that's where it's, it's going to happen. And if anything, COVID and this whole pandemic kind of speeded up that process. What about from a brand perspective and leadership perspective, what should they think about? How can they tap into events to be more successful in terms of connecting with their audiences? You talked about learning experiences, connection experiences, like, but what, what can brands do? What can leaders and executives do to really better leverage events? Yeah. So, you know, the events in a lot of cases were always looked at as a lead driver. You know, what leads can we get out of it? Who are going to be able to attend? Who are some of the customers that we would want to be there? So it needs to go above and beyond that. You need to create an experience that's memorable. You need to create an experience that's going to be impactful and that aha type thing. So that's what I've tried to do with all the events that I've worked on. I don't want it to be as boring conversation where it's just like a couple of talking heads on a stage. It needs to go above and beyond that. And so working with these events that are either B2C or B2B, who says that a trade show education component has to be boring? I feel like every kind of trade show that I've ever gone to, it's just like, again, it's company founders selling their products. You need to go different. You need to think about, again, who is in that audience? And if it was you, would you want to be sitting there for an hour listening to this conversation? No. So you need to kind of maybe a couple of components of it could be bring up your customers and really kind of have this conversation, talk about what were the challenges that they had? What were the things that they realized that they're like, if they went back, they can totally change it over again. What were like their biggest failures? You know, kind of humanize the experience a bit. I think also companies need to think outside the box again of what that event is. It doesn't need to be a boring event. Make it part of like, what are the things that you love in life? Bring those components to it. Bring the food element to it. Bring the entertainment aspect of it. You know, give out merch, give out, you know, fun products to people as opposed to like, oh, here's your notebook. Here's, you know, some little tchotchke. Like do things different. Yeah, so many great examples. And, you know, what you're alluding to almost is like, what can these big organizations, trade shows, et cetera, borrow from action sports events, lifestyle events, music festivals, and so forth to bring more fun and enjoyment to these events. They don't have to be boring just because they are educational. They are an opportunity to network and to sell products. Exactly. You know, one event that I work on is called Complex Con with Complex Media. And it was kind of brought, originally it was kind of like Comic-Con meets streetwear and footwear world. But we looked at it and we just said, let's bring in all the aspects of the culture. So again, we would have an incredible food area with some of the best restaurants and chefs from all over the United States, all the brands on the kind of exhibitor floor, it was kind of like the most curated shopping mall that you can ever have. They went above and beyond with their experiences in each of the booths there. We would have some of the top artists, and then we would have a concert stage and DJs and celebrities walking the floor. But then the area that I kind of oversaw was the conversation aspect of it. And again, we would have topics about 
anything under the sun that was going on, whether again, it was like cryptocurrency or social issues. And we even had an area where it was kind of almost a B2B type thing. It was like, here are the tools that you need to grow. And it would be Gary V would be on there talking with Karen Civil or another kind of the guys from Shopify or eBay and that kind of stuff. And you would just see this packed house of 800 to 1,000 people crammed into this ballroom sitting there for an hour listening, whereas you know their favorite band was playing on the stage in a whole other part of, that, of the arena or the convention center. So there is a need for that, but you have to make it in a way where it's an experience for them. Well, Mark, I really appreciate your time and your insights today. I know you're an incredibly busy guy. So where can people go to find more about you, Group Y, potentially how they can get involved in some of the events you're putting on? Yeah, so our website is group, the letter Y, network.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram or LinkedIn at just group Y. Um, you can also go to our other website, which is authenticity.co. And we have um, a number of events going on. We have other platforms like Industry Resource, which is another one that helps its tools to help brands grow. And we're constantly providing content. We're also on YouTube. So we have hundreds of hours of content from our past events on there. So those are the best places to find us. And you can also connect with me on there too, on LinkedIn. Great. Well, be sure to put those in the show notes. Yes, definitely. Well, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it, Mark. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed it and it was great speaking with you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks, and see you all in the next episode.